Welcome back, everyone, to another beautiful, fantastic, whatever, episode of Beauty and the Screams. Yes, and this is Emily. This is Jennifer. And this is episode 56. BB. Big, big ol' five. Big ol' six. Fifty six. Fifty six, yo. Fifty six, baby. So, um, what's going on what's up with you um well i don't really have anything exciting happening but i do have something that i want to talk about only because of the fact that it's something that when i first heard about it it really bothered me and now i don't feel quite as bad about it but still like irritating and i'm gonna read it because i wrote it all down because there's a lot of stuff so I've been doing some research because of the fact that I wanted to know if what I had heard was true, but there's a petition that has been going around on the internet to stop Disney from being able to trademark Nordic gods' names, such as Loki. So apparently, from what I picked up, they are trying to trademark Loki in some way because, like, in addition to him being... I can't even talk. You okay? What do you mean you can't talk? I'm trying not to breathe heavy oh. in the freaking microphone. Oh. Jesus. Blast me. But yeah, so they are apparently trying... Well, you just, like, stopped, like... I, I covered my mouth because I felt out of breath. But apparently Disney is, is trying to trademark Loki in some kind of way, but I wasn't able to figure out, like, what they're doing yet. I was, I'm still working on it, and I'll probably continue following this. <laughs> but... The reason I think that this is something they shouldn't do, whether they're trying to or not, is because in addition to him being their like main protagonist in their new Disney Plus show, Loki, Loki is actually, in fact, an ancient Nordist, Norse, I can't talk, an ancient Norse deity that has existed for thousands of years. Like, it's not just something that Disney decided, oh, I'm going to make this you guy into a show. You've literally talked about Loki in the show before. I have? Yeah, because I I know you talked about him in the one where I don't know if it was our um, myth. I might have. I know you talked about him because he was a, something about a party. I might have. I don't remember, but but the um, the rumor of Disney trying to trademark Loki is apparently based on some uh, the removal of some Redbubble fan artwork. So the website, apparently, from what I read, had decided to pull some piece of artwork down that had Loki in it, and apparently this is due to the fact that it could possibly violate rights of the Disney Enterprise Incorporated, and from the little bit that I was able to discover on it, like, it was because they took a logo from the way Disney had written it and, like, put it on, but then they, like, changed the color and the font and everything, like they thought it was going to be okay to put like this thing on this guy's shirt and apparently Redbubble thought it was too close so they took it down and now the the artist is upset because they think that it's because of Disney that it's coming down and it could be Disney denies it they say they're not doing it but because what I was able to find Disney has no direct connection with the involvement in their decision to pull down the artwork however the artist does actually believe that it's because of the show being so popular now that like they decided, oh, well, they can't have this artwork up because of that, so. But also at the same time, if, so what you, okay, correct me if I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. 
So what you're saying is the art that they had basically mirror the shirt mirrored what the Disney character is wearing. They just changed the color and the font. Mm-hmm. But I mean that is that is technically still... the same. Yeah. So that's where it's like kind of a a thing because like to me, if you're gonna make art about something, it needs to be your art, not uh something somebody else has done that you've changed in some way. And we're and by no means are any of us saying that this isn't like probably phenomenal. I haven't seen it, but no, that this isn't great art and it's not individualistic in its way. It's just, I mean, yeah. What I read online, like it, people are saying like, you need to just be mindful about including depictions of a Disney character. Like if you're going to take a character that Disney has made, like, you need to find a way to make it your own because the way Disney is, like, they're going to come after you. Like, they're not going to just sit back and mm-hmm. let you copy their artwork and label it as your own. Like, I don't know. I don't know what the artwork looked like. I couldn't find it, but I get it. But my piece from all of this is that Loki, who's a trickster god, um, he predates both Disney and Marvel, so neither company should be able to have exclusive rights to him or his name. Like, yes, like, don't copy someone's stuff, but, like, if you're gonna draw and use Loki's name, or any other god for that matter, like, it shouldn't matter. Because they, the, this god existed, the idea of them existed way before Disney was even an existing company. Way before there was yeah. even anything remotely close to yeah. movies or television or fucking any kind of electronic anything. Mm-hmm. Like, I know that I'm going to be watching this pretty closely because if, Di- if Disney really is trying to do this, like, I'm going to be boycotting the shit out of them because, I don't know, I just think that's bullshit. To be able to go in, I don't know if that's what they're doing, because what I found, Disney says, no, they're not. But, like, if they are trying to trademark different gods' names because they have them as characters in shows, like, that's, I'm not going to participate in something where they're going to try to take, Right, like, that's like them saying we can't sit and talk about Hercules because they made Hercules into an animated movie. Mm -hmm. Hercules was a thing way back in ancient Greek times. So, like, yes. No, that's fucking stupid. Kind of like, um, there, I mean, there's been other ones. What other ones have they turned into? Or talking about Zeus, because Zeus is part of the Hercules movie. Like, yeah. just, they're not original ideas came up with, thought up, unheard of before Disney. Yeah, no, they're, they're ideas that people have been telling stories about and passing down for thousands of years. Like, it's not something new. Um... But, like, as an artist myself, like, I'm currently in the process of making my second coloring book, which I fully intend to fill with pictures of goddesses and stuff from multiple religions and different backgrounds, like. Right. And something like this could potentially affect me personally, and, like, as of right now, yes, I'm unable to prove the validity of the accusation, but it's something that me and others that are like me will need to definitely keep an eye on for sure because if they're going to do something like that, like, that's not right. Like, for sure. I, at all. I completely agree. That's not cool. Disney, if that's what you're doing, you dirty as hell. But if yeah. not, I still love you because... But that's my that's my piece. That's the one thing I came with to talk about because I, I feel very... I can't ever boycott Disney. I have a whole Disney playlist... That I've built, I perfected on my 
on my Spotify, it's my feel-good playlist. Girl, the, like, the original cartoon Alice in Wonderland is my fucking favorite movie of all time, but if I have to boycott, like, Disney, I'll do it. I'll be very upset about it. I ain't doing it. I don't give a shit. But I would do it. I ain't doing it. I ain't doing it. I won't. I can't. It'll literally take away one of the biggest joys in my life, which is Disney music. Look at me. Well, my favorite Disney song, if we would like to be on the Disney kick, is I've Got a Dream from Tangled. That's a good song. I'm malicious, mean, and scary. My (laughs) sneer could curdle dairy. And violence-wise, my hands are not the cleanest. It's my favorite. (laughs) I ain't even going to try tonight. I love it. Oh, girl, I'm so excited. I finally got all my art stuff out of storage today. That's exciting. So um, you're going to be able to start making your resin stuff again? Um. So right now, with the price of lumber being what it is, I'm not going to be making any boards and stuff for a while. My lumber's expensive? Yeah, the boards that I were was buying were like $20 a sheet. Now it's like $65 a sheet. Like balls. Yeah. So... Once the prices start to come back down, I'll get back in the board making business. But... You know what would be really cool? Because a lot of places, um, kind of like, um, oh my god, what church is it here in Burlington? They'd reached out to me when mom was talking about making furniture. And because um, my friend Kevin's stepmom was a member of the church had reached out to me wanting to know if we wanted any of the wood from there because they pulled apart the pews because they were Mm -hmm. putting new ones in so something like that would potentially be really cool because there would be a lot of well it's like um when i was having lunch with grandma today she was telling me that they because she sold the land where like the trailer house and stuff was Mm -hmm. and so she's been like fixing things up down by where her house is and i guess they've completely like resided the barn and she told me if I wanted barn wood, she's like, just come get it. I'm trying to think if I have anything else to talk about. Have I done anything exciting in the last week or two? I did go camping. It was hot. It was miserable, but I had a lot of fun. Yeah, she tried to convince me to go with her too, and I basically laughed in her face. You would have hated it. I hate heat. I hate bugs. I hate, hate hate, hate, hate the wilderness because it hates me. Like, it was so hot during the day, but like, at night, like, once the sun went down, like, it was so much fun. Like, I don't know. (laughs) I'd be like, um, I'm gonna go home all day. Oh my god, so we had a, (laughs) we had a, they had like a pageant, it was called the Super, wait, Super Summer Solstice Superstar or something like that. And Thomas convinced me to participate in this. And I was supposed to have a talent. And I had no idea what to do for a talent. Because to me, like, the only real talent I have is drawing. And how am I supposed to perform a drawing talent, right? So I'm, like, trying to think. I'm, like, maybe I could sing a song. But then everybody that went before me, they did, like, short little skits. And I get up there. And Thomas is, like, what are you doing today, Jennifer? And I was, like, I don't know, Thomas. What's my talent? (laughs) And he goes... He said something about not being Helen Keller's something, something. It was the funniest fucking thing I'd ever heard. And I'm like, I don't know. So I stood there for a second and I looked out at the crowd and I'm like, well, I guess it's interpretive dance. Oh my <laughs> and so I started, God. so I started like Napoleon dynamiting it with my hands. 
than the butterfly thing. Well, we all know who did not win the super summer solstice. Superstar. Yeah, it was not me. No, it was um one of the other girls one. She was singing um like a virgin without music. She was singing like a virgin touched for the very first time and she was like rubbing on herself while dancing. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> like a virgin. <laughs> but I told Thomas, I said, I promise you will have a talent next year. I want to hang out with Thomas. I just don't want to go camping or go to any um, full moon things or anything like that ever again. <laughs> Uh, I like it, but that's all that matters, I guess. Right, because you're the one that's going, not me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she. Okay. 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 Uh, I am the most. Well, no, I'm not the most open minded individual. I like to say I'm very open minded, and I am, right? But not the most. Definitely not the most. I'm probably <laughs> not the most. Um, mostly because I care a lot of what other people think and I care a lot of how other people perceive me. And so it's probably just falling back on me. But, um, when I show up to an event and I try to say that I'm just going to like stand in the back and watch, just let me stand in the back and watch. Or I ruin your fucking hand squeezing ceremony shit. Like, because you think that I'm like, I thought my sister was fucking with me. So basically we were in this giant circle. Probably how many people do you think were there? Probably at least 30. There was a lot of people. We all were holding hands in this giant circle. And the thing was the person to your left squeezed your hand and you squeezed the hand of the person to your right. So I thought Jennifer was fucking with me Mm -hmm. and squeezing my hand like, repeatedly so I wasn't squeezing the person to my right's hand because I was like this bitch is fucking with me trying to make me look crazy no I fucked up the whole circle I like I'm just not meant for things where you have to <laughs> literally like I'm just repelled by everything like everything repels me I literally ruined the circle <laughs> like these freaking spiritual awakened people I ruined their circle I didn't think you ruined it because I didn't really know what I was doing either until, like... Well, the girl t- next to me was, I, like... I kept seeing... Oh, I was watching across from me, and I'd see people squeeze a hand. Like, you could see it. And she's like, but then you didn't squeeze my hand. And I was like, I really thought she was fucking with me. Like... That's so funny. Genuinely, I thought she was fucking with me. So. Have you done anything cool in the last couple weeks? Um, let's see. Last night, I binge-watched the whole entire season of the Cecil Hotel documentary on Netflix. While I was at work. <laughs> I didn't finish that still. I started it, but... Um, it's really awesome. Uh, it made me feel very bad for... I'm trying to remember what the guy's name is. That death metal guy that they all attacked trying to say that they'd murdered Alyssa Lamb. Um, because he's completely discontinued following his dream, basically, of making music and his outlet like his art art like being an artist like you know you draw you do you paint you do all that stuff if somebody was sitting there attacking your artwork i'd probably quit over too. and over like yeah he literally said he just he try he's tried he can't like i mean he literally at one point there he was on the news in taiwan um and all this stuff because people had stumbled upon his youtube video from a year before Alyssa lamb was at the cecil hotel 
and he had been there and mm-hmm. he, you know, he had a video like of himself in his hotel room talking like I'm here at the Cecil Hotel, blah blah blah, talking and he's kind of looking out the window. Well then, if so it shows you that video, but it doesn't tell you in that moment cuz it's showing you all this stuff to try to basically convince like show you what people are thinking. Yeah. And but at the end of the day, you look at timestamps on a video and it is not accurate. And these people basically attacked and attacked him. And then nobody, he literally said nobody's ever apologized to him. Nobody. They've like destroyed his career. Dude, if you ever listen to this, I'm sorry they did that to you because that's fucked up. I want to say, what is his name? Because if somebody destroyed my passion like that for me, like I'd be devastated. Um, so his name on YouTube, like his performing name was Morbid and his name is Pablo Vergara. Mm Mm-hmm. And he, yeah, he was on there. And it's interesting because if you look at pictures and videos of him back then, he was always like this. Like, this was his, like, performing. This was him and his videos and everything. And everybody literally scrutinized and to the T went into his videos. Like, because here, this was a video and he had a picture of Jeffrey Dahmer in the background. So they assumed, oh my God, he's a fucking killer because he has a picture of a killer on his wall. And he had a video where a girl had been being chased through the woods. And in the end, she was inadvertently murdered by whoever had been chasing her. So all of a sudden, because he had a Cecil Hotel video and a video about a girl getting murdered, he was the murderer. Like, I have pictures of serial killers on my computer from putting together sheets for the podcast. Yeah, and this is actually what he looks like, and he's really not a super unattractive guy. Like, that's not a very good picture, but like... I mean, he's not a bad-looking guy if he kind of, you know, maybe washes his hair. (laughs) his hair looks a little greasy but other than that like but no bro i feel for you i'm sorry that people fucking did that to you and you should literally don't like i know it's hard like to not let people affect you like that because people are fucking dicks yeah but don't let those motherfuckers take your talent away from you don't let people suck your like suck you dry like, I don't know. I feel like that's kind of what people did. But at the same time, because he literally said he woke up one day and there were just hundreds of messages, hundreds from people. I hate you. You murdered Alyssa. Like, just literally just, why did you murder her? I know you murdered her. Like, all this other stuff. And he wasn't even there. Like, there's literally evidence he was not even in the United States at the time when she went missing. He was at the Cecil Hotel a year before she was there. It's fucking nuts. People are stupid. People are idiots. They're fucking assholes. Like, yeah. Fuck people. Yo. So, yeah, I watched that. Um, what else? Anything else exciting? I've been working a lot, so that's about it. Um, I went to, did I talk about going to Branson? I don't think you did because didn't we record that before you went? So I went to Branson. I think I talked about that um, on the last episode that I was going, which was really cool. Um, We went to a few wineries when we were in Branson. Um, The St. James Winery was awesome. They had really good wine. Their wine tasting was amazing. Um, The guy, I want to say his name was Mike, 
was the guy who did our wine tasting with just me and Garrett and he was super nice you know very informative and I would he knew I liked the tart sweet wines so even though I because I had to choose five wines <laughs> I chose ones and he's like even though you chose this one I'm gonna give it to you he's like but I want you to try this one because I think mm -hmm. you'll like it and um, I think I want to say my favorite wine that I had there was either there was a cherry one that I really really liked and their cranberry was really really good um, both tart the cherry was a little more sweet obviously than the cranberry but that was good um, when we what else did we do when we were in Branson we went to the Titanic Museum I was a menace to society inside the Titanic Museum <laughs> and I was informed that I'm incompassionate to people who told you this, Garrett? <laughs> yeah, but it wasn't until after we left, and I really wish you would have said something about how I was acting, because I was just enjoying myself, truly, because I, Titanic was one of my favorite movies, and so basically, you get to this museum, you get a boarding pass at the, at the door before you go in, and it's a person who actually was on the Titanic, and it's kind of their story of before they get on, their age, when they were born, a little breakdown of their life. And you go through and every now and then there will be somewhere that has something about your person or the class they were in or mm -hmm. whatever. And then at the end, you go to the board and you see whether your person has lived or died. So, had lived or died. And I want to say underlined had died. No. Underlined had lived, not underlined had died or some shit like that. My person lived. Garrett's person died. Mm -hmm. So, did you push him off the board like Rose? Girl. I literally walked up to the board and I said, where's my person? Where's my person? I said, oh, I lived. And I was like, where are you? And I turned and I said, ha ha, you died. And Here's the thing though. Like I would have done shit like that too. So. And then as I'm walking out, the, the girl at the exit of the museum is like, how was your experience? I said, it was awesome. I lived. And I threw up the heavy metal devil horns and walked out the door. Fucking rapist. But it's really cool. You go in and they have a little like wall that's a replica of the iceberg and you can touch it and feel how cold it was and everything. Like and... if David and I had gone to this, oh we, god, David. We, we would have both been like that the whole way through. I feel like you would have been maybe mildly inappropriate, but David would have been very inappropriate. Like like when he told Kelly he always envisioned himself dying in a fucking fiery car wreck. Disgust. <laughs> but, but so that was really cool in Branson and so I recommend it and it was really cool the last day we were there we were leaving heading out of town and we drove by the Titanic Museum at noon mm -hmm. and the like the thing went off and I was like why is that going off and I googled it and the Titanic set sail at noon oh so that's pretty cool they have that um it I mean it is awesome it's literally that's built to look just like the Titanic ship and that's where the museum is inside that's super cool um we went to a bar that was in a tree house that was that's, really cool that's cool as fuck and every single person that I encountered inside the treehouse, male and female, told me how beautiful I was. And so, of course, I was really living my best life. Naturally, like, ah, oh, compliments. I literally was like, everybody keeps telling me I'm beautiful or I'm gorgeous or my clothes are cute. And I was like, oh my god, I need to move to Branson. <laughs> like, give me compliments. I said, give me compliments. 
Um, <laughs> I spent way too much money. Way too much money. That's, what, um, that's gonna be me when I go on my vacation. I should not have, but you know what? You only live once. I could have died in the car ride home, and it wouldn't have mattered. So, at the end of the day, here we are. Bada bing, bada boom. <laughs> I ended up with huge blisters on the bottoms of my feet. Um, I was miserable. <laughs> then the last day we were there, like, because we stayed till about 6 p.m. on that Sunday. You guys were there late. Yeah. We stayed till about 6 p.m., and we went to some... Uh, nature park or whatever and uh, I tried to suck it up because he's super into like nature and shit like that so I tried to suck it up even though I had huge blisters on the bottoms of my feet and walked through the woods with him but finally like I told him I was like I can't I can't go on (laughs) but I still tried to go on and it was funny because I'd let him walk ahead of me and then I'd be like walking like really weird like so it didn't hurt my feet because he couldn't see me behind him and I'm like walking like on the sides of my feet like Jesus Christ somebody just <laughs> sent down a bolt of lightning and just fucking shoot me like somebody sniped me in the middle of these woods just put me out of my fucking misery fucking shit. is there a body bag I thought I saw a dead person in the woods and I, this guy was just laying in the middle of the woods bitch but I was convinced he was probably homeless and I don't, I don't oh know God. but he's like is that guy dead and I said I don't know but I don't want to find out <laughs> like I love you. I love you. I too. hope you know that. <laughs> like, don't ever doubt it. Like, ever. Um, yeah, that was fun. I had I enjoyed myself. I enjoyed getting some like one on one. That's good. I mean, I get a lot of one on one with him, but like, glad. Yeah. And my trip to California is rapidly approaching. Mm-hmm. I have a countdown on my phone. I can tell you exactly when I leave. Hold on. I'm Make leaving an hour after that. In 22 days, 7 hours, and 47 minutes. So she's leaving in 22 days, 7 hours, and... Um, wait, no. She's leaving in 22 days, 8 hours, and 47 minutes. Because this bitch can't ever be on time. So you're saying I'm leaving at 7 instead of 6? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, I have to keep kind of to my schedule because of... Because I have, like, our campsites, like, planned out. Oh. And I want to make sure I get to a campsite, like, before it's dark. So I can set up the tent and the bed and stuff like before. I feel that. Before it gets too dark outside. And the first day we're driving 12 hours. Gross. Yeah. Gross. Yeah. Gross. But I'm super (laughs) excited about the second night because I'm kind of excited about the redwoods and all that good stuff. (laughs) It was so funny when I was talking to mom about potentially going camping with you. Mom said, you can take the air conditioner and just put it in the tent and don't leave. (laughs) I said, everybody already probably thinks I'm an antisocial asshole. I I don't need people to think it even more. I asked David, I said, do you think mom would let us take the air conditioner? (laughs) I don't know. It probably, like, in, um, like in Monterey, like they probably won't. It won't be that hot, I wouldn't think. Oh, you're camping on the beach? Not on the beach, but close. I've always wanted to do on the beach camping. Okay, check out the PFPN. This is our podcast family. This is our podcast network that we are on. Check it out. Everything on there is horror based. It's really cool entertainment. Fucking check it out. Check it. Check it. Check it. Check it out. <laughs>
You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. in the beginning of the episode this is episode 56 and this week we are talking about cannibalism yeah. cannibal i am cannibal i'm gonna eat you i'm gonna eat you i'm gonna eat your face give me some bath salts bitch anyway i'm done are you yeah cannibal are you sure i think so <laughs> i hope so I mean, really, am I ever done? So did you tell me I'm going first? Yeah, because I literally did the whole episode last week. Okay. So, I'm going to start this off and apologize ahead of time. I'm going to be talking for quite some time, so hopefully you don't hate my voice. But, I did, I told Emily what I was going to do my notes on, and I did that, but then I also found something else as a surprise for the end, so. A surprise? A surprise. I love surprises. Surprise. I love surprises. They're my favorite thing. So. (laughs) I am going to be here initially to teach y'all a little bit more about cannibalism. Because what would Beauty and the Screams be without a wonderful history lesson from me? Mm-hmm. History 101. So basically, the definition of human cannibalism is the act or practice of humans eating the flesh or internal organs of other human beings. The actual definition. Yummy! Yes. But, did you know that cannibalism also occurs in other species of animals? Um, yes I did. Only because when we were watching Shh, what were we watching the other day? Was it Shark Week? Mm Mm-hmm. Where they were talking about the sharks eating each other? Mm-hmm. No, it wasn't that. What the fuck were we watching? It wasn't Shark Week. Well, it might not have been. Maybe I'll think of it along the line, but continue. But I found it remarkably interesting that there are 11 different species of animals that are prone to cannibalism. So I'm going to share all of them with you, but they are in no particular order. Like, I literally, like... They had them listed in an order on the website that I found the list on, mm-hmm. and I scrambled it all up. So, the first one I have for you, Emily, is snakes. Ooh, snakes eat each other? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, snakes creep Emily out, if you didn't already know. And I hate them. I do have two snakes in my house. But they are not mine. They are my husband's. I do not handle them. I have nothing really to do with them. I look at them. Period. That's it. That's all. I hate snakes. <laughs> I hate snakes. However, snakes have a tendency to get hangry. And when they do, anything can pass for a dinner for them. This includes pieces of other snakes and themselves. So, scientists have actually found that they do this type of self-mutilation, 
and they are very confused by it because they think that maybe like the snakes get overheated so they just decide mm, I'm gonna eat myself oh they eat themselves mm-hmm. oh damn yeah break the cycle baby yeah so the next species that I have for you are earwigs what the and, hell is that and no don't start thinking about Harry Potter and the little whatever those things were called that's what I thought of at first when I saw it, when they the word earwigs that's what I thought of first I don't know what they really are she calls them rat what are they that she calls them because she's like your head's full of them yeah but earwigs are those nasty little pincher bugs that have the tweezer looking bits on their back ends oh I hate those ugly motherfuckers so they tend to strike fear into adults everywhere and should technically strike fear into each other as well because when earwigs are born, they are prone to eating their mothers, and their mothers literally sacrifice themselves to their children in order to provide them with food. Listen, I feel like ultimately gypped of feeling important to my mother. <laughs> like, why didn't she let me eat her when like, I was hungry? I mean, kind of she did, sort of, kind of way, in a mammalian way. Sucking on my titties like you, you wanted, wanted me, calling me all the time. <laughs> So, next up, we're hitting the oceans, because baby shark, do 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 baby shark, do 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 Oh, there are sharks. Okay. <laughs> um, so, yes, like, they're not quite as cute as the popular preschool song would have you believe they are. However- Sharks are cute. They are, actually, especially the little baby ones. Baby, baby sharks. There was one on Shark Week that it was like a brown one with spots on it that had like bitten onto a guy's wetsuit and it was the cutest shark I'd ever seen. The shark that I was there when... Oh, yeah. Yeah. That they were saying basically if he hadn't been wearing a wetsuit, it still could have ripped a chunk of his skin Mm -hmm. off. But developing embryos of many shark species will feed upon the surrounding unfertilized eggs in order to develop. But when it comes to sand tiger sharks, the biggest and strongest embryo actually feeds feeds on all of the other developed embryos until there's only one left. Oh shit. So that puts like an entirely new spin on sibling rivalry so it kind of ugly for you. I didn't eat ya. Yeah. (laughs) And then there's hamsters and while yes they are pretty popular household pets every single species are highly likely to kill and subsequently each eat each other. Um, All of this is because of their territory and how much space they have. A female will literally devour her young if she believes that her territory is being threatened. And also, like, if she has too many babies to care for or if any of them are, like, sick or weak, she'll just eat them. Oh. Um, And amphibians are not exempt from cannibalism because tiger salamanders, while early in their development... Um, if they are in, like, a stressful situation, they will mutate, and their heads will be, like, a a little bit wider, and their teeth will, like, um, get a little bit bigger because of the fact that their jaw gets wider, and they subsequently then eat all of their fellow salamanders. Oh, shit. So. My favorite? Chickens. Do the chickens have large talons? So chickens actually resort to cannibalism occasionally. And no, like, it's not something that frequently happens. However, 
under conditions where there's a lot of stress, like the chickens will peck at each other to establish dominance, which is actually where the phrase comes from, where they talk about like pecking order. I've never even heard that before. You haven't? Nope. Um, Probably because I'm not a redneck. But, <laughs> fuck you. Like you. But all of the like pecking ends up leading to torn flesh and then sometimes ends up evolving into cannibalism. So be sure that your chickens are not overcrowded, diseased, and are fed fed properly and given clean water if you don't want them to literally start pecking one another off. Feed them rice. No, mm-hmm. I'm just kidding. Don't feed them rice. I don't know what chickens um, eat. And then there's f- frogs. Frogs will eat other, like, smaller frogs, especially, like, if they're, if they're from the same pond, but, like, this little guy from this side swam over to this side, like, the big-ass frog from over here is going to eat it. He's like, hey, yo, bitch. You know this is my corner, bitch. Get the gobble, fuck gobble. out of here. Yeah. Because you ain't finna wobble. Because <laughs> you better finna die. <laughs> hey, yo, bitch. Um, and black widow spiders are apt to lose their partners following mating. The venomous spiders do this for um, a very sinister reason. After having sex, the larger female will consume the smaller males to help nourish their 500-plus babies that they're now responsible for. Oh, my God. Can you imagine having 500 babies at once? I should, though, mention that this practice is common with all female spiders, but I just thought black widows made it sound better. (laughs) It does make it sound better, (laughs) but... Um, And I don't know if I'm the only person who knew this before or not, but... I think that most people have probably heard tales of female praying mantises eating their lovers after coitus. Yes, fuck them and kill them. <laughs> However, sometimes no one is consumed, and sometimes the male eats the female afterwards, and then sometimes the female will just rip the male's head off during their sexual ex- escapades because, like, if she rips it off while they're doing it, like, he can still finish, even if he's headless. Nick. Yeah. Nearly headless. So how could he be nearly headless? <laughs> and this one, I was very upset when I discovered this that rabbits are cannibals as well. Fuck a rabbit. So yes. rabbits, these little bitty cute balls of fur, they appear to be quite adorable. They're actually quite deadly to each other. Um, mother rabbits have been known to eat their stillborn and weak babies. And, because that's, like, in an effort, because she wants to keep her nest clean, so, like, if the baby's born dead, or, like, if she thinks it's gonna die, like, she just... Gobbles it up. Yep. Gobble, gobble. And she is actually more prone to do this if there's predators in the area, or if she's stressed for some reason. Um, she is also prone to do this if she's super hungry, super cold, or super thirsty. Oh, damn. So, if you don't want your little nose-twitching fur balls to eat each other and you want them to procreate happily, make sure you provide them with a clean, safe home and keep them well-fed and watered. Yes. <laughs> because I know, personally, that if I had rabbits, I would be traumatized if I was raising them and, like, the mom started, like, pick the babies off one by one. Okay, well, listen. My grandfather had pulled up a... Uh, bush that had been in their front garden at their house when I was in grade school and there were baby rabbits in there and obviously like you know how it is like a nest has been disturbed a a mom rabbit won't come back so these babies were abandoned 
you know, Grandpa says, you know, Emily, you want to take care of these rabbits? And I was like, sure. I raised them. And you know how they paid me? By biting me and trying to eat me. So I fucking, as soon as I felt they were big enough, I went and released them into the woods. And I was like, fend for yourselves, bitches. I was so bitter. I was like, you bit me. And the one particular one that bit me was the last one I let go. And I was like, now watch your ass hop. Hop away. Get away from me. I just don't have a good time with rodents or anything like that. They just don't like me and I don't like them. I mean, I think rabbits are cute. Don't get me wrong. They are cute. Like a little twitchy noses. Right. I think they're cute from afar. I just don't want to hold them or touch them. So, um, you ready for the 11th species of cannibalistic animals? Humans! Mm-mm. Oh. The animal most closely related to humans is also prone to cannibalism in the right situations, and that is chimpanzees. They have been observed to chomp down on their young for a variety of reasons. They range from nutrition needs, overcrowding, or to simple dominance issues. And I guess that although they are mostly, they are the most closely related to us, they must not feel the same way about their babies as we do. Aww. But, so now that I have discussed with you different species that practice cannibalism, I want to tell you more about the actual history of cannibalism. Well, I mean, I feel like a lot... Now, you, I mean, you're obviously going to tell me, but in my mind, I imagine cannibalism starting as a mode of survival. Yeah. And maybe, maybe just curiosity. Most maybe. of it is, but like, um. Fun fact. Did you know? Maybe it's not true. Because I was told this in junior high and, you know, I just never fact checked myself before <laughs> I started talking. But supposedly, what I was told by my, um, world studies teacher was that in there was I'm trying to remember what country it was they had to change KFC's logo because finger looking good there meant eat your fingers like tra- translated meant eat your fingers that's amazing <laughs> so here we go the Kalinago people also known as the island carib people who hail from the lesser antilles are the group wait which are a group of islands in the Caribbean Sea, are whom the word cannibalism is derived from. Their legends that were recorded in the 17th century are riddled with stories of cannibalism. There is some controversy over just how accurate these legends are, and also just how prevalent cannibalism really is in their culture, but the stories exist all the same. Um, We do know, however, that cannibalism was practiced in New Guinea in parts of the Solomon Islands, and we also know that flesh markets used to exist in some parts of Melanesia. Oh, flesh markets. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Fiji also used to be known as the Cannibal Isles. What? Mm -hmm. Beyond those islands, cannibalism has been well documented in much of the world, including the Amazon Basin, the Congo, and the Mor- and with the Mori people of New Zealand. So even our relatives, the Neanderthals, are believed to have practiced cannibalism as well as having been eaten by anatomically modern humans. So we Wait. see eat Neanderthals, apparently. 
anatomically modern humans. Like us? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> so apparently they also practiced cannibalism in ancient Egypt, Roman Egypt, and during famines that occurred in Egypt. Um, cannibalism was still in practice in Papua New Guinea as recently as 2012. Um, which they believe this is for like cultural reasons and rituals and stuff like that. Um, right. But rituals. So also in early modern Europe, a form of cannibalism existed where parts of the human body or blood were consumed for medical purposes. This practice was at its peak during the 17th century, although it was recorded late into the second half of the 19th century where peasants would attend executions and they were found to rush forward and scrape the ground up <gasps> with their hands so they might collect some of the bloody earth and then oh. they would cram it into their mouths and hope that they would get rid of their diseases. Oh. Little do they know, they probably just gave themselves fucking AIDS or some <laughs> shit. Oh, Lord. Oh, God. So, cannibalism also occasionally occurs as a last resort by people who are suffering from famine. Um, famous examples include the ill-fated Donner Party of 1846 to 1847, and more recently, the crash of the Euro Uruguayan Air Force Flight 571 that occurred in 1972, in which the survivors ate the bodies of the dead. Isn't this, didn't you talk about this in that one time, wasn't there a movie about it? I think there was, yeah. So, there are also cases of people who suffer from mental illnesses who engaged in cannibalism for sexual pleasure. Me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and Jeffrey Dahmer. No, who, me and Jeffrey Dahmer. Who was also known as the Milwaukee Cannibal, Ooh. who murdered and dismembered 17 men and boys between 1978 and 1991. And then there was Albert Fish, who was an American serial killer, child rapist, and cannibal, who was more commonly known as the Gray Man, and my favorite of his nicknames is probably the Werewolf of Wisteria. Ooh. But he was also Spicy. known he was also known as the Brooklyn Vampire, as well as the Boogeyman. So Fish actually boasted to have had children in every state. And his total number of victims was about 100. He, sh I should mention that this total number of victims has not been proven. Um, and we do not know, like, if he meant, like, 100 rape victims or cannibalism victims. Like, we don't know what he meant. But because of that, because of that guy, like, I wanted to know a little bit more about him. I started reading and then I decided I had to share it with you. So I have a lot more notes because of that. Okay. So. I will tell you, though, that this guy is sick as fuck. Like, disgusting. I'm cool with it. But here we go. So, Albert Fish was born in Washington, D.C. on May 19th of 1870 to Randall and Ellen Fish. Randall was 43 years older than Ellen. And he was 75 at the time that Albert was born. Albert had three older siblings, Walter, Annie, and Edwin. Um, he, his family um, had a very big history of mental illness, like huge. 
His uncle actually suffered from mania. One of his brothers had been confined in a state mental hospital. His sister Annie was diagnosed with what they called mental affliction. Um, and he had three other relatives that had been diagnosed with mental illnesses. And his mother actually suffered from oral and visual hallucinations. Oral? Like A-U-R-A-L. Oral. Oh, like? Like visual. Visual, okay. Visual and like auditorial. I was like, oral? How do you have oral (laughs) hallucinations? Like, there's visual and like it's the way they word it like what I read but like it's what you can hear things that aren't really there so you hear things and sometimes see things that aren't really there okay gotcha so Albert's father Randall died of a heart attack at Washington's 6th Street station on October 16th of 1875 when Albert was only 5 years old so then shortly after his father's death his mother Ellen placed Albert in St. John's Orphanage in Washington where he was frequently abused. Albert slowly began to enjoy the physical pain that the beatings brought him. Albert remarked at one point that he had been in the orphanage until he was nearly nine and that, and that that is where that he got started wrong. Like that's what he said. Like I got started wrong there. He said that that him and other children were unmercifully whipped and that he saw boys doing many things that they should not have done. Wait, in 1880, Ellen got a government job and then was then able to remove Albert from the orphanage. In 1882, when he was 12 years old, he began a homosexual relationship with a telegraph boy. Ooh, sexy. Mm-hmm. Albert then began visiting public baths where he would watch boys get undressed and spend most of his weekends at these locations. Throughout his life, Albert would, Albert would acquire women's names from the classified ads and matrimonial agencies and write them obscene letters. At the, by the time that Albert was 20 years old, he was living in New York City, and he said that this was when he became a prostitute and began raping young boys. In 1898, his mother arranged for him to marry Anna Mary Hoffman, who was nine years younger than he was. And then together, the two of them had six children. They had um, Albert, Anna, Gertrude, Eugene, John, and Henry. What is the thing with people, especially back then, naming their kids the same names they had? Yeah, I don't know. I would never do it, but... Albert the <laughs> Um. So... Around this time, Fish actually worked as a house painter when he first got married. And he said that at this time that he was still, like, continuing to molest children and mostly boys who were younger than six years old. Damn. Yeah. And he later told of an incident where a male lover took him to a wax museum where he became fascinated by a bisection of a penis. And after that... He became obsessed with sexual mutil- mutil- ugh, sexual mutilation. In 1903, he was arrested for grand larceny, which is theft, and he was convicted and he tr- served a little bit of time in Sing Sing. But he gets out, obviously, because Sing Sing. You don't spend a whole lot of time in prison for theft usually. So, around 1910, he met a 19-year-old man named Thomas Keaton. He took Keaton to where he was staying 
And the two began a, see if I can say this right. I practiced it yesterday. Sadomasochistic relationship. Oh. Which is a combination of sad, sadism and masochism, which sad, sadism is pleasure from inflicting pain, and masochism is pleasure from receiving pain. Yeah, because I always make jokes that I'm mm-hmm. a masochist. Yeah. So, after ten days of this relationship, Albert took Thomas Keaton to an old farmhouse where he began to torture him. Oh. He tortured him for two weeks and then eventually tied him up and proceeded to cut off half of his penis. Albert said that he would never forget his screams or the look that he had given him. Apparently, Albert had intended to kill Keaton. Keaton. Um, He intended to kill him, cut up his body, and take him home with him. But he feared that as hot as it was outside that it would draw attention to him, so instead... He poured some peroxide over Keaton's wounded penis, wrapped it in a Vaseline-covered handkerchief, and then left him a $10 bill, kissed him goodbye, and left. Did he die? It doesn't know. So Albert said that he took the first train he could to get back home, and he never heard what had come of Keaton and never tried to find out either. I mean, I wouldn't really if I'd done that shit either, but I would never do that. But I'm just saying, if I had, I wouldn't be trying to look somebody up like this bitch still alive. And I guess, like, when he was talking to people about, like, what he had done, he implied that Keaton was actually, like, intellectually disabled. So he, like, took advantage of him. Oh. Dick. Yeah. Dick move, bro. So. You cut off half this dude's dick. Yeah. Like, this just gets worse, too. Like, I'm ready for your reactions. But anyway, so in 1917, Albert's wife left him for a man named John Strobe, who was a handyman who had been living with the Fish family. And Fish then had to raise his children as a single parent by himself. Oh, wow. Um, And it was actually around this time that he began to have the auditory hallucinations and began to indulge in self-harm. So, he actually was embedding needles into his groin area and his abdomen. And when he had been arrested after all this stuff, which, whatever, but when he finally got arrested and they did x-rays of him, they found at least 29 needles in his pelvic region. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, um, but at that time, he would also hit himself repeatedly with this paddle that had nails on it. Oh, Jesus. And he would also insert wool that had been doused with lighter fluid up his ass and then set it on fire. Wow. Yeah. Um, Boy. Yeah. And it is believed That's that... That's way to send your ass hair off. <laughs> Man, I've been doing it all wrong. Maybe that's why he was really doing it. Trying to get rid of his ass Get rid hair. of that booty hair. Oh, fuck. <laughs> So, from what I've read, he, like, people believe that he actually never did anything bad to his own children, but I guess, like, he did encourage them and their friends to paddle his ass with his nail-studded paddle. Um, fuck, these kids were probably, like, yeah, yeah. So, after this, he began to grow an obsession with cannibalism. (laughs) 
So, he would often prepare himself a dinner of raw meat and would sometimes even serve it to his kids. These poor children. Yeah. Oh my god. Can you imagine? Remember when mom used to make you eat fucking salad? Doesn't this make you feel like you have the best mom in the world? Yeah, she just wanted me to be a rabbit. I mean, she really is the best mom in the world. But, I mean, girl, she just wanted... Oh, God. And I used to get so mad because she'd make me drink milk. Yeah, she she could have been making me body parts. Oh, Jesus. So, around 1919, Albert um, stabbed an intellectually disabled boy in Georgetown, Washington, D.C., and he, from what they said, like, he typically would choose people that were either, like, mentally handicapped or, like, African-American or whatever because, he, and he explained it, that he he felt that these people would not be missed when he killed them. What a bitch. Like, it's fucking sick. Like. What a bitch. Yeah. Like, this is a real piece of fucking work. But. Albert, you's a bitch. Mm-hmm. I know you're dead and gone. (laughs) So, eventually, Albert claimed that he would occasionally pay boys to find children for him. And he would then torture, mutilate, and murder these young children with what he called his implements of hell. Oh, God. Which consisted of a meat cleaver, a butcher knife, and a small handsaw. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. So... On July 11th of 1924, Albert found eight-year-old Beatrice Keel playing alone on her family's farm. He then offered the girl money to come with him and help him look for rhubarb. She was about to leave with him when her mother came running out of the house and chased him away. But he returned later and attempted to sleep in their barn, but Beatrice's father actually found him in the barn and forced him to leave. And then three days after this, he kills a kid named Francis McDonald. Damn, Beatrice, you were lucky, girl. Because he was going (laughs) to fucking gobble your ass up. So at this point, it's now 1924, and Albert is 54 years old. And he was now suffering from psychosis. And what he felt was... Like, God was commanding him to torture and sexually mutilate children. So, Albert attempted to use his implements of hell on a child that he had been molesting named... I can never pronounce this guy's name. Does it look like Cyril? Cyril? Cyril, Cyril Quinn? So, Quinn and his friend were playing ball box on the sidewalk, which I don't know what box ball is either, but... A game played between two players on two adjoining squares or sections of a sidewalk or a playground in which a ball is hit back and forth between the players, each defending a square, the object being to prevent a fair ball from bouncing twice before hitting it back into the opponent's square. So it's like handball. Yeah. Okay. So he was playing this outside with his friend and um, Albert approached them and asked them if they'd eaten lunch. So, they both told him that no, they had not, so he invited both of the boys to come with him to his apartment for sandwiches. So, I don't know what all happened, but I guess the two boys were wrestling on Albert's bed, 
and they happened to dislodge the mattress and underneath the mattress they found his small handsaw, his knife, and his meat cleaver and they got scared and so they ran out of his apartment. But then shortly after this, Albert abducted Grace Bud. So this is where it gets real interesting. So on May 25th of 1928, Albert saw a classified ad in the New York world that told of an 18 year old man named Edward Budd. Uh, and it had like his, all of his information that Edward Budd of 406th West 15th street. So like it had his name, his address, everything in the classifieds. And what he wanted was he wanted a position in the country, which basically meant he wanted a job on a farm. Mm-hmm. So then he, at this point, Albert's 58 years old and he chose to visit the Bud family under the pretense of hiring Edward. But he did end up confessing later that he had planned to tie Edward up, mutilate him, and leave him to bleed to death, whatever. But Albert actually introduced himself to the family as Frank Howard, who was a farmer from Farmingdale, New York, and he promised to hire Bud and his friend Willie and told them that he would send for them in a few days. But Albert didn't show up, and he later sent the family a telegram apologizing, and then he set a later date to come back. But when he came back finally, um, Albert actually met Edward's younger sister, Grace. And he apparently quickly changed like who his intended victim was going to be. And he made up this elaborate story about how he was in town because he needed to go and attend his niece's birthday party. And he convinced Grace's parents to hmm. let her go with him to his niece's birthday party. Oh, no. How old was Grace? Um, oh, I didn't put it in here, and I thought I did. She was, like, 12 or something like that, I think. Oh, Jesus. Of course, because it was a yeah. kid. But she left with him that day, and she never came back. So, at one point, um, a 66-year-old man named Charles Edwards Pope was actually accused in Grace's disappearance, but he was accused by his wife. Like, he was estranged from his wife, and his wife was, like, was pissed off at him. And he's like, she t- he took that girl. Like, I know he took that girl. Just trying to be a bitch. Yeah. And he actually ended up spending 108 days in jail before they, they found him not guilty of the girl's disappearance. Damn, that's a third so, of a year. Yeah. Um, then, let's see. And then in 1930, Albert married... Estella Wilcox, but then subsequently divorced her after only one week of being married to her. Um, Because he was crazy. Yeah. And then he was arrested three months after he'd married this woman um, because he had sent an obscene letter to a woman who had answered an an advertisement that he'd put in the paper like looking for a maid. So, after he'd been arrested and whatever in 1931 he was sent to the Bellevue Psychiatric Hospital for observation and eventually he got out but then in November of 1934 Grace's family received an anonymous letter and Mrs. Bud was illiterate so she had her son read it to her and this is what the letter said errors and all my dear Mrs. Bud in 1894, a friend of mine shipped as a deckhand on on the steamer Tacoma, Captain John Davis. They sailed from San Francisco to Hong Kong, China. On arriving there, he and two others went ashore and got drunk. When they returned, the boat was gone. 
At that time, there was a famine in China. Meat of any kind was from a dollar to three dollars a pound. So great was a, was the suffering among the very poor that all children under twelve were sold to the butchers to be cut up and sold for food in order to keep others from starving. A boy or girl under fourteen was not safe in the street. You could go in any shop and ask for steak, chops, or stew meat, and part of the naked body of a boy or girl would be brought out and just and they would cut just what you wanted from it. A boy or girl's behind, which is the sweetest part of the body, was sold as a veal cutlet bought at the highest price. John stayed there so long he acquired a taste for human flesh. On his return to New York, he stole two boys, one seven, one eleven, took them to his home and stripped them naked and tied them in a closet, then burned everything they had on. Several times every day and night, he spanked them, tortured them, to make their meat good and tender. First, he killed the 11-year-old boy because he had the, he had the fattest ass and of, course the, <laughs> and, of course, the most meat on it. <laughs> fattest ass. Every part of his body was cooked and eaten except head, bones, and guts. He was roasted in the oven, all of his ass, boiled broiled, fried, stewed. The little boy was next. Went the same way. At that time, I was living at 409 East 100th Street, rear right side. He told me so often how good human flesh was, and I made up my mind to taste it. On Sunday, June the 3rd of 1928, I called on you at 406 West 15th Street, brought you pot cheese strawberries. We had lunch. Grace sat on my lap and kissed me, and I made up my mind to eat her, on the pretense of taking her to a party. You said yes, she could go. I took her to an empty house in, Winche er, in Westchester. I had already picked it out. When we got there, I told her to remain outside. She picked wildflowers. I went upstairs and stripped all my clothes off. I knew if I did not I would get her blood on them. When all was ready, I went to the window and called her. Then I hid in the closet until she was in the room. When she saw me all naked, she began to cry and tried to run downstairs. I grabbed her and she said she would tell her mama. First, I stripped her naked, but she did kick, bite, and scratch. I choked her to death, then cut her in small pieces so I could take, so I could take my meat to my rooms cook and eat it how sweet and tender her little ass was roasted in the oven damn dude let me just say thank god for my tiny little ass i wouldn't be delicious to anyone it took it took me nine days to eat her entire body i did not fuck her though i could i could have had i wished she died a virgin and this is the fucking letter that he sent to her mom like but Anyway, so probably because he didn't expect to evade shit for yeah. so long, so now he's like. So this disturbing ass letter is actually what ended up leading the police to Albert. Like, yeah, they didn't know who it was that sent it, but they were able to figure it out because um, the police investigated the letter, and they they were investigating like the story about the Captain Davis and the famine in Hong Kong, and they couldn't verify any of that information from the beginning, but 
The part concerning the murder of Grace was actually found to be incredibly accurate in its description of the kidnapping and the subsequent events. Although, it is impossible to confirm if Albert had actually eaten parts of Grace's body. Like, they can't prove that he actually ate her, but like, they're assuming that it was right because he did actually go take her on the pretenses of going to a party. But, get this. So this is how they caught him. You ready? Yes. So there was a small hexagonal emblem with the letters NYPCBA that represented New York Private Chauffeurs Benevolent Association on the stationery that he used. And they actually found that a from quizzing the people that worked there, that a janitor had told the people at the company that he had actually taken some of the stationery home with him, but he had left it in his rooming house, and he gave the address because it was at 200 East 52nd Street, And but he left it there when he moved out. And the landlady at that rooming house told police that Albert Fish had actually just checked out of the room a few days before. And... Um, and then she also told told them that Albert's son had actually sent him some money, like sent him a check, but that Albert had actually asked her, like, hey, can you hold this check for me until I come back? Right. So, like, they knew he was going to come back eventually because he's going to come get this money. So, the chief investigator, William F. King, actually waited outside of the room until Albert came back to get his check. And when he did this, like... He's like, hey, like, I need to bring you in for questioning, whatever. But then Albert's like, oh, okay, cool. But then he, like, pulls out a razor blade. Like, he's going to do something with this fucking <laughs> razor blade. So <laughs> King disarms him and then takes him to the police station. Albert did not even attempt to deny murdering Grace. Because I feel like he was wanting to get yeah. caught at that point. I feel like he had been expecting to be caught sooner. I mean, that's how it seems. Yeah. Why would you send that kind of letter anyway? And, like, he even told the authorities that when he went to the house, like, he meant to kill her brother, Edward. Like, that's what he went there for, was to kill her brother, but, like, Right. Know. And then Albert also told King that it never even crossed his mind to rape the girl, but then he told his attorney that while kneeling on Grace's chest and strangling her, that he actually had two involuntary ejaculations. Probably because he was fucking yeah. morbid and so, got off on that shit. This is where it gets real fucked up because then, like, the information they had about that, like, they turned the whole trial into a thing about kidnapping and based off sexual motivation. And so they didn't even mention in the trial, like, him being a cannibal. Like, didn't mention it at all. That he was yeah. eating these kids' ass? Mm-mm roasted and toasted and fried and broiled and whatever else he fucking like, said he did with these asses like literally emily like i found so much information about this guy like i could literally talk about him for hours but i'm gonna skip all that and just kind of sum it up here in the end for you like so he ended up actually being convicted of other crimes following that arrest so like he got arrested for that but then they convicted him not only of grace's murder but then they also convicted him of the murder of a nine-year-old named Francis McDonald, and they also convicted him of the murder of a four-year-old named Billy Gaffney. And during Albert's trial, it was actually proven that he was insane, but the jury felt that he needed to be executed anyway, so then at the end they found him to be sane, and they also found him guilty, and the judge ordered to have, to have him like sentenced to death, and Albert actually arrived back at the Sing Sing prison 
in March of 1935 and was then executed on January 16th of 1936 in the electric chair. Apparently, Albert was even even assisted the executioner by positioning the electrodes on his body. So there was a witness that saw him die that that claimed that it took two jolts of electricity to actually kill Albert, which created this huge rumor that spiraled kind of out of control, talking about how the apparatus had short-circuited due to the fact that he had needles inserted in his body, whatever, whatever. But later, these rumors were regarded to be untrue because in the, like, report, it showed that Albert had apparently died just like anybody else had in the chair. So, anyway. So, lastly, though, I should state that after the execution, Albert's lawyer revealed that he was actually in possession of his client's final statement. And the statement was apparently several pages of handwritten notes that Albert had penned just hours before he died. And when, like, people were asking the lawyer, like, what was in the letter, like, the lawyer stated that he was going to refuse to share its contents with anybody. He's, he's like, all I will say is, is that I will never show it to anyone as it was the most filthy string of obscenities that I have ever read. Oh, I'm sure if... Can you imagine the letter he sent that girl's mom was how bad? Yeah. I'm sure whatever he wrote as his final statement was fucking terrible. And apparently there is a documentary film about Albert that was released in 2007. And there's also a biographical film from 2007 that's called The Gray Man. And this The, the Gray Man was based off of his life and it apparently starred this guy named Patrick Bouchot. Bow show or however you say his name like he star he starred as Albert and I mentioned these because I realized that there's some of you that might be interested in watching movies about this dude's life I personally have zero interest in watching it because I think it's disgusting like no, I'll, I'll watch it <laughs> you could tell me about it watch the gray man and let me know how it goes all it makes me think of is and I know it's gay man but Gray man, fighter oh, of the night man, oh, champion of the sun. Oh, you are the master of karate and friendship for everyone. Like gray man. Like I seriously <laughs> thought about after I read, like found that stuff on him. Like I thought about just not even doing like the beginning stuff, but like I was also like, oh, I told Emily I was gonna do this stuff, so I'm just gonna do it anyway, and now it's add this in at the end. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that was pretty fucking bizarre. Like, the minute, like... I still don't think he's as bad as Andre Chikatalo, though. No, probably not, but... I felt like I did some fucking Emily-level research for this. You did. <laughs> uh, yeah, I wasn't expecting that at all. So, I'm proud of you. Hey, look at oh. me, creating a monster. <laughs> <laughs> I digged it. I really did. That's good. That's really good. That's good. What up, bitches? It's your girl, Emily, and I'm here to um, actually not shock you as much as Jennifer did, even though. <laughs> I mean, these are. Okay, so I have two separate ones I want to talk about. One's a little more in depth than the other one. 
So we're going to start out with the more in-depth one because I think it's awesome. And like they always say, start out with the good and with the not so good. And even though they're both great, and I could have done a lot more research into the second one, <laughs> and I did do a lot more research into the second one, but I didn't have my notes when I typed it up for the second one, and so I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to wing this, and it ended up being really bad. So, <laughs> so my title that I have on my notes is, every fight is a food fight when you're a cannibal. I put, I think on mine I put like, um, I'll, I'll eat, I'll you, eat up. you up, you better run. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Kesha. Yep. I would like to take some time to talk about someone that has been mentioned in a previous episode. And this would be the soap maker of Correggio, Leonardo Ciancioli. Oh, yeah, you mentioned her when we did our serial killer episode the last time. Mm-hmm. Female serial killers. Mm-hmm. So, Leonardo Ciancioli... Her early life is very was very scarce. You really couldn't find very much. Um, but she was born on April 18th of 1894 in Montello, Valenio, Italy. So also couldn't find very much details of her childhood aside from learning that she was raised from by a very cruel mother, actually. Um, everything was very vague about all her mother did to her, so I'm not even sure if it was all just verbal abuse or if it was physical abuse as well but from what I found it basically stated that she endured a lot of cruelty from her mother and her mother would say things to her about how she was cursed by the devil and that she would never amount to anything in her life and this could have played a large role into the fact that in her teenage years Leonardo attempted suicide on two separate occasions yeah probably because, I mean, even look at her face. She just has the face of, like... I mean, I I shouldn't sympathize. I shouldn't empathize at all with her. But here we go. She I looks, mean... Her face is kind of droopy. Kind of reminds me of, like... It's sad. Like, she just looks sad. But also kind of yeah. pissed. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like that's a very... Um, she has a very, like standard Italian look and I don't yeah. mean that I'm not being racist I'm not but well I mean like that's a mugshot too so like mugshots are bad yeah so Leonardo actually visited a fortune teller in her youth that had warned her that she would marry and have children but all her children would die in their youth and at one point she also visited a Romanian palm reader who stated in your right hand I see in your right hand I see prison in your left, a criminal asylum. Oh. Yep. So in 1917, Leonardo married a man named Raphael Pansiardi, and her parents were furious, like livid and furious, because they had intended for Leonardo to marry another man who was much wealthier, but Leonardo went so far as to claim that her mother cursed them, which would make sense that she would believe this as she faced a lot of heartache during her marriage. Hmm. So in total, Leonardo had 17 pregnancies. Oh shit. 17. But out of all of these pregnancies, Leonardo only had four children that lived past the age of 10. Damn. So she endured three miscarriages and then 10 of her children died in their youth before the age of 10. Jesus. 
So, which is sad, and you can only figure that also took a massive toll on her mental health. Like, how could it not? Like, yeah, you know, and she'd seen a fucking pretty much fortune teller or whatever that told her. Because, like, the shit I went through fucking fucked with my mental health, and that's way worse. 17 and only having four kids that yeah. live past the age of 10. That's biz- not even bizarre. It's just sad. Like, yeah. So... I believe fully, wholeheartedly that this is what pu- really pushed her. Um, so then in 1921, the couple, so Leonardo and her husband, Raphael. Yeah. So Leonardo and the couple, <laughs> Leonardo and Raphael and their family in 1921 moved to Laria Potenza. And I'm probably saying these all wrong. <laughs> so I'm sorry. And which was her husband's hometown. So while they were living there, Leonardo and her family hit hard times financially. Of course, like you have a large family living off of a single income. So in an attempt to keep her family alive, she ventured into illegal transactions and was actually sentenced and imprisoned for fraud in 1927. And I could not find how long she was actually in prison for those charges. Yeah. But once she was released, Leonardo and her family moved to Lacedonia Avellino. And then, with all this other shit that's happened, so, what, 13 kids that had died, basically, because even though she had three miscarriages, I mean, that's still a death. It is. And so with all of that shit happening, and I acknowledge the fact that some of her misfortune was her own doing. The fraud, her yeah. own doing. But also, at the end of the day, if you have a large family and your husband's working and you're home taking care of your kids, she, pro- she probably couldn't go work and she probably couldn't afford a babysitter. Yeah. I mean, at the time, I mean, at least it wasn't like it is today where everything's you know, like you'll astronomically get in trouble well, for leaving your kids alone because I feel like kids got left alone a lot back then. But Well, yeah, considering the fact that, like, even when, like, our parents were kids, like, they didn't have car seats. Right. I sat on the floor of the driver's seat. I could have died. I would have taken a dashboard straight to the face, to the dome. I would have been decapitated, probably. I mean, luckily, we didn't have to ride like that for very long. But, But, okay, so after all this other shit that's happened in her life, in 1930, Leonardo's home was destroyed in the Irpinia earthquake, causing her family to have to relocate once again. So... What how, what all has she endured? She's had a mother that was verbally abusive to her. She's had 13 children that died. She's been in prison for fraud. She lost her house in an earthquake. Mm-hmm. And so now the family made their final move to Correggio, Reggio, Emilia, Italy. So this was an opportunity for Leonardo to start a new honest business venture. And she actually opened a little shop where she sold handmade soaps and cakes. Like how precious is that? That's so cute. I mean, that is right? cute, but... Or, well, it could have been cute. Like, it could have been cute. <laughs> so, in 1939, Leonardo learned of the fact that her eldest son and favorite child, Giuseppe... I'm probably saying it wrong. Giuseppe. Giuseppe. Something. Giuseppe was intending to join the Italian army in preparation for World War Two. So, as we know, the Second World War began September 1st of 1939, 
And Leonardo, obviously, super upset with the news. I mean, she has four kids left. Yeah. Um, decided that she needed to take action to protect her son. And, I mean, she did not decide to take a practical approach to, <laughs> to protecting her son. She decided to take some crazy-ass fucking attempts at protecting her son. Leonardo decided that the best way to protect her son was through sacrifice. And not just any sacrifice, but human sacrifice. Oh, no. So, Leonardo began picking off middle-aged single women that were coincidentally all her neighbors. Which seems very messy to me and you. We watch fucking crime shows all the time. So um, I was literally reading this as I was doing my research. I was like, what a stupid bitch. Like, I watch too much forensic files for this shit. Like, <laughs> you don't take your neighbors. You go in a random, you leave town. You go pick people somewhere. Yeah, Nobody's even going to know who the fuck you are. Yeah, you find some random bitch, like, at least a couple cities over, if not a couple right. states over. But Leonardo had worthy victims right in plain view from her front porch, so she took advantage of the situation. Jesus. Okay, so. Her first victim was Faustina Setti, a lifelong spinster who had had come to Leonardo seeking a husband. She had told Faustina of a suitable partner she had found for her in Pola. Faustina paid Leonardo her life savings of roughly 30,000 lire, which would be about $3,323.16 in American currency at that time, and nowadays would roughly be about $55,181.33. So she gave her all of that money because she wanted a dude? Yes. So this is where I grow concerned for the intellect of this woman. Yeah. And basically all the women. Because Leonardo requested that Fasatina not tell anyone of the news. Then the request gets even stranger. She asks her to write letters and postcards in advance to her relatives and friends that she would be able to mail once she had reached Pola to tell everyone that she was okay. Fishy. Yeah. Because if you're going to write a letter once you get there, why don't you just write it when you get there? Yeah, not... Exactly. Not pre-write them. So, but of course, she did as she was asked. She wrote the letters to her loved ones. Bada bing, bada boom. So Faustina comes to visit Leonardo on her last day before she left for Pola. And this is where she was murdered with an axe. Her body drug into a closet where Leonardo began cutting the body into nine parts while gathering her blood in a basin. She stated in her confession, I threw the pieces in a pot, added seven kilos of caustic soda, which I had bought to make soap, and stirred the mixture until the pieces dissolved into thick, dark mush that I poured into several buckets and emptied into nearby septic tanks. As for the blood in the basin, I waited until it coagulated, dried it in the oven, ground it, and mixed it into flour sugar, chocolate, milk, and eggs, as well as a bit of margarine. Kneading all the ingredients together, I made lots of crunchy tea cakes and served them to the ladies who came to visit, though Giuseppe and I also ate them. Gross. Leonardo Ciancioli, second victim, was named Francesca Soavi. 
Again, Leonardo manipulated her way her way by expressing to Francesca that she had her dream job for her that she had found at a girls' school. Just like the first victim, Leonardo convic- convinced her to write postcards to friends. And I was kind of confused by what I read and what I found because it said something about how she wanted her to write postcards to her friends with details of her plans, which wouldn't you think you wouldn't want people to know where you're supposedly going if you're not actually going there? Like, so I was confused by the wording of things that I read. Yeah. So regardless, this woman writes these letters just as asked ahead of time to let everybody know she's doing fine once she gets where she goes. And then on September 5th of 1940, Francesca came to visit Leonardo one last time before departing. So, while visiting with her, she was offered wine that Leonardo had poured for her. So, she accepted the kind gesture because, I mean, it's Italy. Do you know DBH, ADHD? They have a fountain in Italy that 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, distributes wine. It costs nothing and you can just sit and drink wine all day long. Why have we not gone to Italy yet? I don't fucking know, but I want to (laughs) go. But anyway... She accepts the kind gesture because it would be rude, and also she trusts this woman, so why would you not take the wine? Duh. Francesca drinks it, which is drugged, um, and it causes her to lose consciousness. And then from there, Leonardo does the same thing, drags her body into the closet, where she uses an axe and chops her into nine pieces, and disposes her the same way that she had Faustina. Leonardo hadn't made it out as well with Francesca, though, as she only received 3,000 lire in payment from her. Still a fucking lot, though. Right. So, Leonardo's third and final victim was a former soprano for La Scala Opera House in Milan named Virginia Cassiope? Cassiopo? 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 I have no idea. Well, a girl named Virginia, last name, unable to pronounce. (laughs) Um, Leonardo had claimed to have found work for her as a secretary for a mysterious impresario in Florence. And thank God for Google, because I had no idea what a impresario was, or impresario, or whatever was so this is actually a promoter manager or conductor of an opera so of course with her background in music and being in an opera before she this was like her dream job and virginia was like yes 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 check 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 so overwhelmed with the prospect of this opportunity virginia accepts only under the stipulation though that virginia did not tell a single person that she was intending to leave So, you can go, but you can't say anything. Right. I found this awesome job for you, but if I found out that you told anyone, fuck you. I'm giving the job to somebody else. You stupid bitch. (laughs) (laughs) I imagine that's exactly how Leonardo talked. I hope so. Well, she would be saying, fuck you, you stupid bitch. I will give the job to somebody else. (laughs) You stupid bitch. So on September 30th of 1940, Virginia came to visit Leonardo one last time before leaving to start her new job. Unfortunately for Virginia, though, there was never a job in Florence for her, 
and she was murdered in the same fashion that the other girls were murdered in as well. But this time, Virginia's body was melted into soap. Leonardo stated, she ended up in the pot like the other two. Her flesh was fat and white when it melted. I added a bottle of cologne, and after a long time on the boil, I was able to make some acceptably creamy soap. I gave bars to neighbors and acquaintances. The cakes, too, were better. The, that woman was really sweet. Oh, my God. Can you imagine, like, finding out, like, after you've taken several showers with this soap, that you were washing yourself with somebody else's, like, remains? <laughs> oh, my God. She received 50,000 lire from Virginia, along with jewels and public bonds. As payment, you know. And Leonardo also sold her clothing and her shoes. So the soul circles back to what I said previously about not choosing victims so close to home because Virginia's sister began to grow suspicious of her disappearance as she, and had last seen her sister entering Leonardo's home. Oh. So her sister went to the police with her concerns and the superintendent of police in Reggio Emilia opened an investigation which quickly led to the arrest of Leonardo Cianciali. So now we all know that she did eventually confess to the murders because I read a confession. Yeah. Obviously. But she denied, denied, denied until the moment that she found out that they believed her son had been involved. Oh no. So at this point, she sang like a motherfucking canary to save her son from the blame of what she'd done. So Leonardo was tried for murder in 1946 and it was stated quote unquote at her trial in Reggio Emilia last week Potes, Potes Leonardo gripped the witness rail with oddly delicate hands and calmly set the prosecutor right on certain details her deep set dark eyes gleamed with the wild inner pride as she concluded I gave the copper ladle, which I used to skim the fat off the kettle, to my country, which was so badly in need of metal during the last days of the war. Because basically, and they were saying in all the stuff that I found that she literally, like, they would be talking in her trial and she would correct them, like, of things that she'd done. She'd be like, oh, no, 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 I didn't just cut her into six pieces, I cut her into nine. Like, no, I didn't just... I didn't just put her in to boil. Like, I put some caustic whatever in there. Some or, caustic soda in there with she, it. She literally was just like, no, I'm going to tell you detail for detail. I boiled that blood, and I saved that blood. I made those cakes. Oh, and, and, I and like, no, cakes. I didn't make tarts. I made cakes. Right. Like, and though, you know what? That last bitch, her cakes were fucking sweet, and they were delicious. Way better than the last ones. The last two. <laughs> so, obviously, she's found guilty of her crimes, and she was sentenced to 30 years in prison. And then three additional years in a criminal asylum. So, think about this. Do you remember what that um, lady said? In your right hand, I see prison. In your left, a criminal asylum. Mm -hmm. On October <laughs> on October fifteenth, nineteen seventy, Leonardo Cianciali died of cerebral apoplexy as the result of a stroke, and she died in. Pazuli Women's Criminal Asylum. She's pretty fucked up. Yo. Yeah. I just... 
I feel like like I, I mean I, what okay. she did was wrong, but I feel so I, bad for her how her life went. I feel like if you were ever going to be like a serial killer, like you would do something like make them into soap or whatever. Like I mean, it's a way to get rid of yeah, somebody, like, and nobody would think to even look in a cake or a bar of like soap. Like you're literally like consuming the evidence. Right, and how smart of her. Boil them fucking down and dump it in a septic tank. They're not ever going to be able to find that shit. I actually have a friend whose parents have a a small septic tank installed in their yard, so when their dogs take a shit, they have those scoopy things, Mm. and they scoop the shit up and drop it in the little septic tank. That's insane. Yeah. Okay, so the next thing I want to talk about is a man named Eladio Bali, and this is a man from Nara and... Palawan, Philippines. So this is a story that I absolutely had to share because I found it so super disturbing. (laughs) Super disturbing in the fact that I wanted everyone to know because I was disturbed. So, um, so July 17th of 2004. So this is definitely a more recent story. Yeah, that was the year I graduated from high school. A macabre incident took place due to a pissed off dad. So... Eladio Bali's daughter was getting married, and during a dance after the ceremony, cousin Benji Gane accidentally touched the bride's butt. Now, like, I say accidentally because, like, I wasn't there. I don't know. That's the dad's claim that it, like, so this like, is the oh, story. So I'm going to accidentally touch your butt. Because I feel like if it was an accidental graze of the booty, somebody wouldn't be that pissed. But also, I don't know how customs are in the Philippines. I don't know. Yeah. You know, but uh, anyway, so. (laughs) Things escalated. Yeah, things escalated pretty. Just don't touch any butts, guys, because this will teach you. Just don't touch a butt. Don't be doing no grab ass. So between Eladio, his son, his nephew, and another cousin, Benji Gane was forced into a secluded area in the woods where he was then murdered and chopped into pieces by his family. They didn't stop there. Oh, no. Oh, no, they did not stop there. It's like, but wait, there's more. They proceeded to gather coconut leaves, and they roasted his body in the leaves with kerosene. The fuck? And do you think that's the worst part? No, they probably fucking ate him, because they're cannibals, yep. right? <laughs> the cousin who had aided in the murder, Juni Biot, was forced to eat part of Benji. He stated that he had thrown up when trying to swallow and then was forced at knife point by Eladio to keep the flesh down and swallow it. Ugh. And actually what what happened... What happened was... Well, we'll go from here because I actually have more to say after what I wrote. I missed a lot. So they proceeded to take the meat back to the party that was still going on after the wedding. And there are accounts that they actually fed the meat to unknowing wedding guests that were still celebrating. Oh my How God. fucking pissed would you be? I would literally be raising fucking hell. I'd be puking. Well, actually, let me redo what I wrote because it's actually kind of... I would literally throw up so hard that my body would turn inside out and I would die. And then I would come back and haunt that motherfucker for the rest of their lives... I would like to say I'd like to kill them before I died, but I think I'd be too physically ill to do anything but puke and die. (laughs) So basically what ended up happening was a couple days later, 
um, Junie, who was the one who was forced to eat the flesh, mm-hmm. he was very feeling very, very guilty about it, and he went to authorities and told authorities what happened. And at, so um, he got... Um, I'm trying to remember. I know the father and the son were both convicted of murder um, and cannibalism. And the thing that's really sad is Nara Philippines was in the the process of trying to draw it as a tourist place to go like because they have such beautiful locations and everything like that they were trying to revamp like yeah themselves to get you know people coming there and this happened and now people are seeing this in the news and <laughs> reading about this and people are thinking to themselves oh the philippines these filipino people are cannibals no they're not that's not a normal thing it happens they're the same as it happens here. People do it here. People do it there. I'm guaranteeing there's cannibals in Scotland. There's cannibals in Ireland. There's cannibals in Russia. Like, just because there's some shitty people who do some shitty stuff, it shouldn't give one place a bad rep. Right? It's true. Like, that's like, um people assuming that all terrorists are supposedly like Muslim like no like terrorists exist in all races and genders well and and from what I read this dad and son were sitting in a nice ass prison cell or jail cell they'd made a makeshift ping pong table like they refused to talk to the media they were encouraged not to talk to the media because of the shame of what they'd done um and I mean, for good reason. Like, no, that that's fucking gross. I mean, you... <laughs> I mean, if you wanted to kill him, kill him. And if you wanted to eat him, eat him. But why'd you take him back and feed him to all those people? Oh I'm, I'm so pissed for them. I know I'm laughing. I like Because how, it's so gross. Like, both of yours are people who, like fed the people to someone else unknowingly yeah betwixt yeah yeah they fucking they didn't give a fuck they're like we're gonna eat it you're gonna eat it <laughs> literally me and kevin have had so many conversations of what we believe human flesh would taste like i bet it's chicken i feel like we would taste like shit because of the stuff that we eat all the processed foods and stuff i feel like we would taste terrible and i feel like give give me a vegan give me maybe maybe we would taste like pork because pigs eat garbage so i know mine weren't as as fucked up as yours with the rump roast of small children but i also think it is i honestly feel like in the day and age that leonardo was in if she had not gone so close to home she would have gotten away with what she was doing well, and I think that mine was probably only, like, to me, the reason why I found it most interesting was because he'd actually written a letter, like, to a parent, like, and I found And that, and that part is what makes me believe he was wanting to get caught. Yeah. Because that ha- that's how a lot of these, even today's, like, s- more recent serial killers, like, they they want people to know that it was them that yeah. did it. They want to leave this, like, like was, stain. Yeah, like, he was, like, after he'd gotten caught, like, he was bragging about it, and like I said at the beginning, like, he claimed to have had, like, a hundred victims, like, but, and they were from all different states, 
But yeah, they didn't know like what he meant by that. Like they didn't know like if he meant like he ate a hundred people or if like he raped he them. raped a hundred people. Yeah, it's just <laughs> I just can't imagine being like I'm gonna fucking kill my sister and eat that ass. We didn't kill the sister. I know, but you're the person sitting next I mean, to me. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> like fuck this bitch. I feel like I feel like my ass wouldn't be that juicy. It'd be there'd be a lot of fat in it though. <laughs> Booty juicy. Brr. Brr. I have the smallest little tiny little booty. So <laughs> hey, it might be a delicacy. Oh my god, I'm worth. Hey, if I'm worth a lot on the black market, you better sell this ass when I die. Okay, <laughs> make some money. In my name. I'll find myself a flesh market. I mean, you already have, what, um, 50,000 coming your way when I die. I'm worth more to her dead than I am alive. <laughs> oh, shit. Because, <laughs> yeah, I have a $100,000 life insurance policy. <laughs> but I don't have one now. When I did have one, you were my... Um... My sisters are all my beneficiaries because like, cause on, they're going to need it the most. Because on mine, like, I had David as the primary, but then, like, if something had happened to David first, or, like, if something happened and we both went at the same time, then it went to you. I have it split between all three of you. Um, you get more, you get the bigger part because I feel like you would be the one people were expecting to I mean if mom and them were still weren't here which I'm assuming they won't be and I'm assuming how and I don't even know who knows who will outlive who well I'm like just saying because even though like I would be emotionally devastated I also know that like I would be the one who have to take care of everything like, yeah plus <laughs> we were raised by the same woman we <laughs> got that retail therapy in our blood I mean that's true girl go out and treat yourself <laughs> I'm telling you now go out and treat yourself oh girl like I will I'll go I'll be like oh Emily would want me to have that <laughs> Emily would want me to have this mansion Emily would well I don't think you could buy a mansion with $100,000 but no but you get yourself a nice car yeah you could buy an RV and just start driving cross country and I want to get an RV actually there you go. kill me <laughs> I want an RV. Kill me. Please. I'm gonna throw your ass out that fucking window right now. Hopefully you land head first. <laughs> I have a strong head. It's true you It'll do. take more than one floor to destroy me. <laughs> okay, well then we're going to the attic. Well, guys, I would say that was another successful episode of Beauty in the Screen. Hope you loved it. I know I enjoyed it this time. I mean, I enjoy it every time, but, like, I feel like when I can really get into my research, I enjoy it so much more. She gets down. Yeah. She got down. She got down. Down. Like, literally, Emily, the whole time I was doing that research, I was like, oh, my God, Emily's going to love this. I'm like, I'm going to take that, and then I'm going to use a little bit of this. <laughs> a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Anyway. Okay, so we're going to get out of here. So just do us a favor. Subscribe on whatever listening platform you use. Whenever a new episode is posted, you will be notified. Um, follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Links and will all be in the episode description. So anything that you're looking for to follow us on on social media 
it will be in there. Um, and again, make sure to check out the PFPN. Yes. A link to the PFPN's direct website will be in the episode description as well. And Emily will also put a link to my shop. Please check out my coloring books. Like our merchandise. Yes, and our merchandise because we still have all of our stickers and stuff available. So, And if anybody is in the market for a Beauty in the Screams t-shirt, they're not lo- posted, but you can send us an email at beautyinthescreams, all one word, at gmail.com. And we will work with you, get you a shirt. So, I'll make a deal with you now. The first five people who email us, I'll just give you a shirt. So if you're one of the first five people, you can have a shirt on us. That would be lovely. Mm-hmm. Lovely. Okay, well, everybody have a great rest of the week, whatever day you're listening to this, whatever year, month, date time, whatever. Have a great one. Keep it classy. Deuces.